Good morning on just, wow, I mean, I don't want every week to be a weather report, but it's beautiful out. Finally. It's so, 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 so beautiful. It's supposed so. to 85. Yeah, I, well, and then we're supposed to get a bunch of rain, but we could use that too, yeah. so this is kind of a public service announcement. Um, I have a pretty decent library of, you know, Christian books, commentaries, all that sort of thing, and I don't read all of them every day. Every once in a while, somebody will ask to borrow some, and Jenna had to write a paper recently, and so she borrowed everything I had on Daniel. Here's your bag back, all right? <laughs> if you ever need a Christian book and you're not sure, you don't necessarily want to buy it forever, uh, I'd be glad to loan you what you need. So anyway, really, really good uh, to have you here today. We've uh, had a fun, fun start, good, good first service, ready, ready to get going on another, and let, let's just go ahead and dive into some things when that uh, weekend update came this week. You saw that we went, we went list style. This so. is yeah. This is my favorite update of the year because you get all the dates of all the things that are happening over the next month. And May is crazy. May is full of, of updates and things that are coming because we have a huge schedule of summer activities yeah. that all kind of get laid out during month of May. So you don't even see on that one uh, Tuesday nights at six thirty volleyball is going on. So got that too. And mm -hmm. I understand they've had a couple weeks that it's, it's been a little skinnier. It gets harder to play volleyball when, you know, you're by yourself just doing this. <laughs> and so uh, you like volleyball, come on out. That's a, that's a great time. But all these, all these up, other opportunities are listed there. And one of the, one of the areas of focus we've had over the last uh, couple months is really zeroing in on intentional grandparenting. Uh, Kim, my, Kim, my wife, your mother. <laughs> Same person. Yes, exactly. You've, you've met her before. Yes. Um, Time or two. We, we were watching a, a video the other day put together by a, a grandparenting organization, and uh, they, they made, I, I think, just a beautiful, beautiful observation from Scripture that I went, boom, never really thought of it that way. It says that we're, we're to teach commands to our children and to our grandchildren, or in other words, there's a biblical role not just for children and, great, I'm done, now I get to go retire somewhere, but a biblical role for raising of grandchildren as well. And so uh, we want to make sure that that's happening very intentionally. There's a, there's a small group that started, a, a group ministry that started for this. They're meeting a couple times a month, uh, led, by, led by Mike and Regina Osborne. And uh, the, the way we refer to it is, it's like youth group for adults, okay? Just like minus the messy stuff and the no, eating no and bugs and, and no yeah. no hard games yeah. and that sort of yeah. thing. But but we kind of got that structure of it's not just come together, do a Bible study, walk away. Really trying to build the relational element of that and and you know as a tagline, equipping grandchildren to have a legacy of faith. That's what we want to make sure that our grandchildren, not just our children, but our grandchildren, have that legacy of faith. So. If you're in grandparent stage or it's soon to be, and, and that would be helpful for you, uh, get involved in that group. But there's also, we're, we're going to be just like the students in that come October, we're going to Green Lake. Yay! Blast, the grandmas too. and grandpas are going to Green Lake. <laughs> there's, a, there's a group called uh, the Legacy uh, Grandparenting Coalition, and they put together a conference that's being offered in Dallas, but we're going to be doing the simulcast at Green Lake. So uh, there's information available on that today as well. You want to learn about either of those things. If you walk out this morning, you normally see the welcome desk, the, the info hub straight ahead of you. If you look a little bit to the right, you'll see another table. 
and Mike and Regina are there. Glad to answer your questions. We've even got a little uh, gift for you as a grandparent. It might be a little chilly in Wisconsin in October. Oh, but no. I think we, It'll be perfect. No, I was going to say, I think, I think we now need to make sure that there's a slip and slide for that. Oh, <laughs> there we go. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so, um, and, then, and then this. We're going to have to talk about this every week from now till Labor Day. Yeah, because we have three... Uh, three special Sundays throughout the summer for each of the, the major holidays we've earmarked for outdoor services. We have a beautiful property, and we love to be able to get outside and enjoy that. And so on Memorial Day weekend, May 28th, on the 4th of July weekend, on July 2nd, and then on Labor Day weekend, September 3rd, we're going to be outside for one service and one service only at 10 a.m. It will not be simulcast that week, so there's no, uh, there's no video or anything. The special one in the middle, not the third, not all special, but the middle one is going to be really cool because we're coming off of the week of camp. So instead of, you know, bring your lawn chair and your umbrella to protect you from the sun, that week we're going to have the tent still up. So we'll get to enjoy uh, that, that time together. And just in case you're, you're wondering, like, this is super relaxed. It's, it, they're always super uh, chill services. So it, it's a great time to, to bring people along, to bring family, to bring friends, especially if they're in town for those holidays. Uh, if you're not escaping off to somewhere else, bring family with you, um, because each of these services is going to be going to be really fun. And then students, what you got going? Yeah, next Sunday. This May is going so fast mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. We're already there. But um, next Sunday is Mother's Day, and we've kind of created a tradition of inviting mo our moms to revive for that Sunday night. So next Sunday, normal time, six to eight. We're going to be uh, hanging out, and we have some games planned. We have dinner planned so that, Mom, you don't have to make the meal, uh, and we're not doing anything crazy. So nothing, you know, we're not going to make you do any eating challenges. We're not going to make you do a slimy slip and slide or anything like that. It's just a, a time to be able to, to spend with your kid here at Revive, and so it's something that we've loved doing, and we're going to be doing again next week. The following Sunday is an important one as well because that's when our eighth grade step-up day is. So the kids coming from refuge get to move up to Revive and spend one Sunday with us on the 21st. That's also the high school graduation day, so we got uh, some other stuff uh, planned for that afternoon, but that'll be from 12 to 2. So that's the only, the only major difference is that that'll be an afternoon Revive with our eighth graders, and then that following Wednesday, the 24th, our fifth graders get to have step-up day to refuge, and our eighth graders get to double dip for their last time at refuge. So it's going to be a jam-packed week. It's a, I'm really looking forward to it, and I would suggest if you have a student going to Green Lake that has not been to, uh, to one of our groups, send them. So if, mm -hmm. if you have a fifth grader stepping up into junior high or an eighth grader stepping up into high school, Faces may be familiar from Sunday morning, but we love the opportunity to, to talk with them, introduce them to people that they're going to be seeing at camp. So if, if you have one of those kids, mark those two dates down. Eighth graders come up to, to Revive on Sunday, uh, May 21st, and then May 24th, that Wednesday, our fifth graders get to come up to Refuge. Intentionality, I think, is a, it's a really a beautiful spiritual virtue. We've talked about it in grandparenting. We'll be talking about it this morning in our teaching um, a piece of intentionality that's necessary right now is intentionally asking kids and kids' families to get to Quest. Yeah, I think there's almost an expectation that when a registration opens, it just gets filled magically. Mm -hmm. Like, we give updates. Yeah, registrations keep coming, they keep coming, keep coming. But I guarantee you, you know someone that has a kid that's not registered right now. So make that invite. Even if... Um, 
you know, if it's just a coworker, you can say, hey, we've got this camp. It's happening at this time. It's really cheap. Uh, it's really, really cool. They're going to get to know Jesus. Um, so make those, make those invites. The second thing that I'd say is sometimes we get rejections for, for invitations on stuff like that because, oh, well, schedule is too hard. You know, I, I can't pick up and drop off at those times. It's not convenient with work schedule or we've got this, that, and the other thing going on. Offer to drive. I know that that seems like such a simple thing, but if regular uh, regular patterns of behavior kind of went out the window during 2020, and we just forget to to do things that we normally would have done for uh, for a long time. So, if you have the opportunity and the availability to be able to drive, you know, a whole herd of of little ones over to camp, do it. Load up your vans, load up your vehicles, whatever, uh, and and get them here. So make sure that that's a part of the invite. If you need. You know, if we, we, want the, your, we want your kid at camp, and if you need the ride on Tuesday and Thursday, then I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Because uh, I think that, that makes a personal connection, too, that shows that you're not just trying to fill camp, but that you want that personal investment in that child's spiritual future. Uh, no question. After, you know, a few weeks of watching Emmett, um, he is the most brilliant four-and-a-half-month-old I've ever met in my life absolutely. I mean, rude. I mean, even, I'm sorry, even smarter than you. It's amazing. <laughs> we, we have this little game. I go, ah, ah, and he looks at me, goes, oh, we're playing that game. And he starts going, ah. we do that up and back. That's and, the sign of brilliance. And then I, <laughs> you weren't doing that. Half you standards. Doing that. Are and then I, and then I start going, <laughs> and he goes, oh, we're doing that now. And he looks at and me. And his he comes out going, the other end. No, he starts to. He starts to. And I'm so glad to see already he's got a tongue that curls as opposed to my flat, lifeless tongue. So glad to see that. But as smart as he is, I've not yet figured out how to get him to order things on Amazon. Yeah. So yeah. just that, uh, whatever, the public service reminder, yeah. you got a mommy to buy for, but you have a mommy to buy for. Okay, yeah. so mm -hmm. don't forget. Thank you for the reminder. All right, it. good deal. Father God in heaven. How grateful we are to gather today uh, with people who love you, uh, to be loved by you, to focus on the relationship we have with you. I pray that as we get a chance to dig into your word, that we will have a strong desire to do what it says, to bring you great pleasure by living holy lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I said this more fully in the first service. Second service, we made a clarification last week, but just kind of a little... Uh, correction. I, I made the comment last week that on one of the slides I had down, I think, uh, chapter 2 instead of chapter 3 or chapter 3 instead of chapter 2 on one of the passages. And it was fun because in the first service, I had somebody walking out uh, from the service saying, I could not find that passage you were looking, you were talking about anywhere. I thought my Bible was broken. And then I got home and Kim's like, where was that passage you were talking about? I looked all over. I mean, was it the version? What's going on? If, if, if you find a problem with the Bible, more often than not, it's not that your Bible is broken. It's that your pastor is broken or your husband is broken. So um, anyway, if you ever notice that, fortunately, we do this one service and get a chance to make corrections. But if you're ever looking for the passage and you're not finding it, we're not making it up. I just probably have the wrong address. So hopefully, hopefully we have the right addresses today. Uh, last week, we started talking about what Peter has to say about holiness, and I, and I want to continue on that theme this week. Uh, hop over with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We read these words, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. And he further says, make every effort to live in holiness, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many people. See that no one is sexually immoral, or immoral 
or as godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, he wanted to inherit the blessing, but he was rejected. Even though he had sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what had been done. The author of Hebrews starts by saying, you need to live, make every effort, try your best, try your hardest to live at peace with everybody. And then it applies as well to holiness. Make every effort, every effort possible, try as hard as you can to live a holy life. And he goes on to give this, you know, distinct warning. Without holiness, no one can see God. So make every effort, work at it. It's a sobering reminder. Without holiness, no one can have a relationship with the Lord. He unpacks some examples here of unholy living. He says when, when a person falls short of grace, when they decide not to live in grace, that's unholy living. He says be careful about bitterness. Bitterness is such an ugly thing. We go from a, a hurt or, or, or an offense to nursing that. We become angry about it. The anger sits there long enough that eventually we can't even see straight anymore. Bitterness does such ugly things in our lives. And he puts bitterness right at the same level as sexual immorality. And then he says, and don't reject God the way Esau rejected God. Some examples of unholy living. Certainly not an exhaustive depiction of unholy living, but just a few examples. So last week we talked about holiness as an identity, not an activity. That this is who I am. For many people, when they talk about holiness, it's about action. It's about sin management. It's about, uh, de- uh, it's about managing sin detached from one's identity in Christ. Peter makes clear that holiness, holiness is part of our family DNA. If you're part of the family of God, holiness is in you. He says, just as he who called you is holy, just as God is holy, you need to be holy in all you do he goes on to say, because God actually said, be holy because I am holy. Holy action devoid of holy identity is not God's desire for us. He's not just looking for moral robots who go through the motions of morality. He's looking for transformed children. The writer of Hebrews says, make every effort. Peter similarly says, be holy in all you do. There is this mix here. Holiness is who you are. And holiness is expressed in what you do or how you live. We might use some some different words. Instead of talking about identity and action, we might talk about positional holiness and practical holiness. Positional holiness is what you receive when you become a believer. You're justified. And the holiness of Jesus is given to you so that when God looks at you, he sees you. Not for your sin, he sees you in your holiness. That's, that's positional holiness. And without that holiness, we cannot see the Lord. But then there's practical holiness. Practical holiness is that working out of doing what is right and avoiding what is wrong. The hard work of living out our identity, both are important. And so today we're going to look at at holy action. We're going to look at practical holiness. How does one live a holy life? And Peter's going to show us the way. He's going to repeat a combination of words a few times in this letter. He's going to say something like this, live with minds that are fully alert and fully sober. Be alert, be awake, and be fully sober. Be, be alert and be sober-minded. Here's what he says. Holiness always starts with awareness. you got to be aware. You can't be sleepwalking. you got to wake up. 
A, a quick look at a few translations reveals that, that in the particular line that I quoted from Peter, he really only uses one word there, and that one word is sober or be sober-minded. Sober and sobriety are often tied to substances like alcohol, but really that's a one-dimensional view of the word. Sobriety is not just about not being drunk. It's a state of mind. It's a way of living. It means to be vigilant, to be circumspect, to be fully awake, to be completely aware. The word for sober is used six times in the New Testament, and they're all tied to the concept of being clear-headed. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 with me. He says, so then let us not sleep, which is a great verse for church. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of the hope of salvation. Are you catching the sense of the word here? People who are not sober, are unaware. They're unaware. They're, they're, they're just sleepy-eyed. I can tell when, um, when Emmett's getting ready for a nap. For the most part, this kid is a bright-eyed kid and constantly smiling. I mean, he just looks at you. His eyes are smiling. His face is smiling. You can say booger. It doesn't matter what word you say. The kid just gives you a grin. But there comes a point in the day that he stops having that reaction, that his face goes a little flat. There's no smile. There's kind of a little bit of a, 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 a long stare, a long stare in his eyes. And you know, less smiles, more yawns. He's starting to get sleepy. Lack of sobriety is a sleepy approach to life. It's an approach where we're not really, we're not really at our best. We're not our sharpest. We're just kind of going along and just trying, trying if possible to stay awake and not fall asleep in front of other people. Paul uses this word sober when he's speaking to Timothy in the fourth chapter of his second letter. He says, a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will say what they want, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll listen to myths. But he says, but you, Peter, in that culture, in the midst of all that, you need to be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Even, even if people aren't coming to Christ, keep doing that work. Fulfill your ministry. People will drift they will fall away from sound teaching. And Paul says in the middle of all that, you keep a clear head while everybody else is getting cloudy. Peter uses the word for sober three times. We've already looked at, at the first instance. Look at 1 Peter 4, 7. He says, the end of everything is near, therefore be alert and be of sober mind so that you may pray. I mean, let's face it, it, it is hard to pray when we're not alert. It's hard to pray when we're not clear-headed. He says, be clear-headed. The word here is to be sound-minded, of a right mind, to be sane. He also, he also speaks of sobriety in 1 Peter 5, 8, the next verse. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's interesting that even though our translation is the same, different word is used here. While the other one refers to a sound mind, this one literally talks about being awake, to watch, to be alive, to be watchful, attentive, vigilant, circumspect. It's the word Jesus used in the garden 
when he looked at his disciples and said, will you watch with me for one hour? And when they fell asleep, he comes back and bumps them and says, could you not watch with me for one hour? Same word. Holiness and awareness, holiness and awakeness are allies. Holiness requires sober-mindedness, alertness, wide-eyed attentiveness, a watchful spirit. A sleepy soul will live a sin-soaked life. A few years back, uh, I got, like many, got into watching Duck Dynasty. Got a kick out of watching Miss K cook up something that most of us would have left on the side of the road. Uh, got a kick out of watching Dad and the boys in epic battles with beavers as they'd take dynamite and blow up the dams and all that. And then there was Uncle Cy, his iced tea and his wisdom, if we can call it that. Uh, Uncle Cy had, uh, he had a lot of pronunciation issues. And one of my favorites was when he referred to the, the zombie apocalypse. The zombie apocalypse. Not the zombie apocalypse, no. The zombie apocalypse. For many of us, we wander the spiritual earth like zombies. Lights on, nobody's home. We're sleepwalking through the script. We're not paying attention. Holiness begins with two simple words. Wake up. Wake up. Sober-mindedness and alertness are more necessary than ever. Our minds and morals are constantly being directed by screens. No matter where you turn, there's a screen sending a message. It's, as I've said in the past, a constant drip, 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 drip. And over time, that drip forms a dent in our souls. Now understand, this, this is not just an old dude whining, okay? Uh, ever since we've started watching Emmett, I've, I've been out driving to go get him prior to 7 o'clock. I don't normally drive around 6.30, but, you know, lately I've had to. And I'm driving, and as I'm driving, I'm, I'm driving out at about the time that the buses are going around picking up the older kids. And so I've just started watching, started watching what's happening. And I'm not kidding. At every bus stop, every bus stop, I see the same thing. I am no exaggeration. Every kid, nose buried in the screen. And they're not standing side by side. They're all standing in a row. I don't, I don't get it. They're all standing in a row and, and just watching this. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I, I gotta, I'm not kidding. I'm kind of mourning inside. The bus stop was like one of my favorite places. I love them. I lived in the tundra of Buffalo. And I'm telling you what, in the middle of the winter, the bus stop was the best place. We'd have the funnest conversations. We'd do the most reckless things. We'd throw things in the road. We'd do things that were bordered on illegal. We had so much fun, so much fun at the bus stop. And here they are just drip. Drip, 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 not even talking to each other. And I know some of you, you're about my age, and you're going, yeah, those kids. Hey, <laughs> listen, geezer, I watched you at Jewel in the line. Somebody actually had the nerve in the first service say, yeah, I look for recipes. Yeah, right. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. I know what you're doing. We're, we're, we're doing the same thing. We have a term for this. We call it mindless activity. Mindless activity, a lack of awareness, a lack of vigilance, a lack of sober-mindedness. We're sleepwalking through life. Peter says, wake up. Be aware of what is being put in your mind. Be aware of what is being shoved down your mental throat. We think we can swim in a sewer and not come out stinking. It doesn't work that way. Peter helps us to know how to stay awake. After all, this is the guy who literally and figuratively fell asleep on Jesus. 
He starts by letting us know that we need to be aware of the difference between the world and the way. There is a difference between what the world says and the way of Jesus. Peter draws out the distinction in a number of places in the book. Let me give you two. 114, he says, so we must live as obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better back then. He says, you just went along. You were just trying to make yourself happy. And he, whoops, he also says, you have, had enough in, you have had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and their lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. He says, that's what you did in the past, just like the world. You weren't part of the way. The way is different. He even says, you did this before mindlessly. You didn't even know it was wrong. You were part of the zombie apocalypse. You were just going along. You were sleepwalking through life. You're doing what everybody else did. And you didn't know any better. But now, you know better. Wake up. Wake up. Life in God is always lived in the context of culture. Every generation has had no choice but live in the constant context of culture. Human beings live in culture. And some cultures are more moral than others, and none are perfect. All are warped, all are sinful. Even if some of the sins seem respectful, respectable, like, like a Pharisee standing there saying, thank God I'm not like that scumbag over there. I raise this because this is part of our wake-up call. Do we know what is the world and what is the way? Do we know what is from the world and what is actually found in the world, in the Word? I'm going to share a personal illustration. And I got to admit, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to share it because I don't want you to read my mind on what I'm thinking. I just want you to hear the illustration. When, when Kim and I were early on married, uh, we, like everybody we knew, used birth control. Uh, it, that was what we did, right? I mean, we, were, we still had school to finish. We had careers to start. It made sense. It was responsible. We had a plan. We wanted no whoopsies. We wanted no surprises. We wanted to stick to the plan. And I get to admit to you, years later, Kim and I have wondered out loud, did we do the right thing? Did we do the right? We didn't even question it. We just did it because the doctor said you should. And everybody said we should. So we did. Now, hear me before you plug yours, okay? I'm not saying we should have or shouldn't have. What I'm saying is we didn't even stop to think about it from a biblical perspective. We just did what everybody was doing. We did what every 22-year-old could. We swam in the cultural pond just like everyone else. And Peter would say, wake up. Be alert. Be sober-minded. Be clear-headed. Don't be a mindless zombie. And again, I want you to get lost in the details of the illustration. I'm not making a statement on birth control this morning. It's a challenge about everything we do. Everything we do needs to be challenged. Let me give you another example. Marriage customs have changed quite a bit in the past, you know, 50 to 100 years. When I was little, there was a show on called Three's Company. My parents would not let us watch that show. They're like, why can't we watch it? Because you have three people living together, they're not married, they shouldn't be doing that. You're not watching it. And at that point, if somebody was living together, the vast majority of people were looking and going, they shouldn't be doing that. And slowly but surely, as, as each decade passed, it started to shift. Before you know it, it wasn't, you shouldn't be doing that to, uh, the old people don't think you should be doing that. We'll do it, but don't tell grandma. 
And then grandma was asking, why aren't you living together? You'd save cash. In fact, grandma's living with her boyfriend now. Just shift, shift. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It's happening. We just go along with whatever the culture is doing instead of asking, what does the Bible say? The why is simple. Why not live together? Because it's the biblical standard. And we don't live the world standard. We live the biblical standard. Yet for many, the culture had shifted to such a point that we don't even know to question it. Even as Christians, we don't know to question it. I've been listening through the book of Judges. I got to tell you, it's a brutal book. It's a brutal book. You're only a few short years away from the leadership of Moses and Joshua. And a haunting line appears at the end of the book and a couple times throughout. Something like this. In those days, Israel had no king And all the people did what seemed right in their own eyes. I listen to the stories in this book and I wonder, how in the world did they fall so quickly? How in the world did they go from people who are receiving the Ten Commandments to people who are living like Canaanites? I I listened to two stories this week, both involved women. One was about a daughter and the other was about what they called a concubine slash wife. The daughter became the price of a reckless vow. Guy said, God, I promise you I'll give you whatever comes out of my door first, I'll sacrifice it to you. And his daughter comes out. His daughter comes out. And you know what he does? He says to his daughter, sorry, I'm going to have to sacrifice you. And he gives her some time to be with her friends, and then he sacrifices her on an altar. He kills her. God never wanted human sacrifice. How in the world could he have thought that this would bring pleasure to God? Well, Canaanites sacrificed people. And he went along with what the culture was saying instead of what God had asked. He believes he's actually being faithful to God by grossly sinning. Another story. I I can never, this one just, man's traveling with his his wife. They come to a town. He's in the town square. A guy comes and says, you can't spend the night here. He takes him to his house. And it's like the story of Lot all over again. They go to the house, and, and Israelites, Benjaminites, come to the door. Send out the dude. We want to have sex with them. Israelites. And the men inside say, we're not sending out the guy, but we'll send out our daughter and our wife. Sends them out. They're raped so many times that the wife dies. And the guy cuts his wife to pieces and sends the pieces around Israel as a rallying cry to war against Benjamin. And I'm just, I'm looking at this, and, and on, on one hand, it seems, like, it seems like, oh, he's done such an honorable thing, he's calling for war. If he'd have done the right thing in the first place, we wouldn't be here. He didn't treat his wife the way God says to treat a woman. He did what Canaanites do. He didn't do the biblical thing. He didn't do what God commanded. It's his fault that his wife is dead, not the men of Benjamin. It's his fault that they're dead. Peter would say, wake up. Stop living like the culture, mindlessly, zombie apocalypse, just going along. Wake up. I raise these stories to say we are no different. We're so immersed in the cultural sewer that we can't even smell the stink on us anymore. Hear this. The problem is not our culture. Our culture is a mess. It's getting messier by the day. 
The problem is not our culture. Every human lives in the swim of culture. The problem is lack of awareness. The problem is sleepwalking. The problem is not waking up. In these five short chapters, Peter describes elements of his culture that require awareness on the part of the Christ follower. He says you must live as obedient children. Don't slip back into your old way of living to satisfy your own desires. Their times are no different than our times. Do what makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy, do what makes you happy. That's not what the Bible says. That's what the culture says. 1 Peter 2.1, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and all unkind speech. He says people were brutal to each other. Don't be like that. In 2.11 he says, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that war against your very souls. He says the world was constantly throwing things in their direction that they, that they would want if they didn't pay attention. 1 Peter 3.9 says, don't repay evil for evil. They lived in a time that it was okay. Somebody does bad to you, you do it back. He says, that's not the way. That's the world. But that is not the way. He says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild, destructive things that they do, so they slander you. That's the, that's the culture in which they lived. And he warned us that it's so easy to just do what everybody else is doing. But we're supposed to live life awake. So I want to, give, I want to just kind of give some practical examples. How, how, do we, how do we deal with this? What does it look like? I'd ask you the question, what, what do you do when you're in the mood to be brain dead? What do you do in those moments that you just need to veg out? You've had a little too much people. You've had a little too much work. You just, you don't want anybody to talk to you. You just, you just want to be quiet. You need some quiet. Especially that if you're an introvert, you need this more than the others, but you just need some veg time. You just need some quiet time. What do you do in those times? I got to tell you, veg time, brain dead time, this is the danger zone. It's a danger zone, right? Many of us turn our heads to a screen. We click on our favorite sitcom. We scroll Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, be real, TikTok. We might open a book that requires very, very, very little effort. We watch a sport, we scroll news feeds. I gotta say it again, this is the danger zone. You want to be mindless. And in your mindless moment, somebody else is directing the message. The messages are drip, 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 forming a dent on your soul we'd be better off taking a nap. We'd be better off taking a walk. Our minds, when we are brain dead, when we are vegging out, are not actively challenging what's being poured into them. And slowly but surely, we find ourselves buying what the world is selling. In that downtime, be aware that you are handing the steering wheel of your mind over to someone else. Someone else who has a message that they want to put in your vegged out mind. It's not innocent fun. It's a danger zone. The opposite of brain dead is to be on our guard. All the time, challenge every thought, every action, every accepted norm, every practice. Challenge it. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 10. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons 
not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We take every thought captive, he says. Do you see the active, challenging mindset being presented here? There's no passive acceptance on Paul's part. There's no vegging. There's no, there's no checking out. Challenge commonplace thinking all the time. And let me just say this. I'm not suggesting you become obnoxious, okay? This isn't for you to sit and point out the error of the ways to everybody else in the room so they can all roll their eyes. This is you challenging you. This is you challenging the fact that a message is coming to my mind. Is this biblical? It's being an active participant in the conversation rather than a passive receiver. Technology, the screen, has trained our minds to be passive receivers. We need to challenge the thoughts. Use God's mighty weapons to break down strongholds and false arguments. We need to wake up. What is the world and what is the way? We need to also be aware, what is Scripture and what is Satan? Chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like, a, like a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says, resist him. That's active. Stand firm in the faith. That's active. The pathway to holiness is not just about resisting the cultural context. It's also about fighting the enemy of our souls. We are in a profound spiritual battle. This is, what, this is what Jesus himself says about Satan. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Satan lives to tempt and to deceive. His temptations are often targeted at our desires. You can see a clear example of it in Genesis chapter 3. So predictable a strategy, yet so effective. He gets us to doubt and question God and doubt and question God's goodness. Then he tells us that we need to take things into our own hands if we want our desires fulfilled. We are not immune as believers from satanic attack. I believe the Bible teaches, teaches that, a, that a believer cannot be uh, possessed by Satan, cannot be possessed by a demon. We're possessed by the Holy Spirit, but he can't hassle us. And he can deceive us. A vivid and effective picture is given to us by Peter. He's like a lion on the hunt, looking for vulnerable prey, looking to pounce, pounce at an opportune moment. Satan lies, but his lies only have impact if we choose to believe them. Sadly, many of us want our desires so badly that we follow the strategy of his lies right down the path of unholy living. This is a great paragraph, I thought, from, from that website I've talked about before God answers. They, they were talking about what does it mean for Satan to be the father of lies. He says, lying is Satan's primary weapon against God's children. He uses the tactic of deceit to separate people from their heavenly father. Some of his most common lies are there is no God, God doesn't care about you, the Bible cannot be trusted, your good works will get you into heaven. The Apostle Paul tells us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light so that what he says and does sounds good and seems reasonable, but it is nothing more than a false appearance. If we could paraphrase Peter today, it would be really simple. He says, you want to be holy? Wake up. Wake up. Be aware of the way of your culture. Be aware of the lies 
of the devil. Positionally, as a child of God, you are holy. That is your identity. Christ's holiness has been, has been passed on to us. It's been given to us. And because of that, we can have a relationship with God. Practically, in terms of holiness, we have some work to do. The work of holiness always starts with awareness, always awake, always challenging, always questioning, always looking to the Bible for the truth. If you don't, if you don't know Kim well, my wife, you don't know that singing in this room is one of the, one of the bravest and most courageous people I've ever known. She is, she is fearless and she is fierce. And um, when she was in college at Moody in Chicago, she wouldn't be spending Sunday morning at, at Southfield, a church like ours. She would be in Cabrini Green, down at a church there in that project, worshiping with those people together. And as she'd walk there and as she'd walk back from time to time, she'd be stopped by the cops and they'd say, little girl, do you know where you are? You shouldn't be down here right now. But she had a ministry to do and she had serving to do. And if you talk to Kim about walking around in dangerous places, she'll even do it. I'm 60 years old. She still, still tells me how to walk in dangerous places. Be alert. Know who's ahead of you. Know who's behind you. Know who's around you. Be alert. Be aware all the time. About the time she was going to school there, there was a girl who uh, went out on a jog with headphones on. And she didn't make it back to school. She's killed because she wasn't alert. She wasn't aware of what was going on around her. Peter says, take off the headphones. Be alert. Stay awake. And so, Father God, I pray that you would shake us from our slumber. Wake us up again. Wake us up to the truth of your word. Help us to see the ways in which we just go along with the current of the culture. Help us to see the ways that we allow ourselves to be deceived by the lies of Satan. Wake us up to live holy lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We take that same theme of, of waking up to communion this morning. Tables at the front and the back, gluten-free on either side of the platform, back by the camera as well. As you walk to communion today, would you just think about talking to God as we're in this moment together? Talk to God. Ask Him to reveal to you through His Spirit the places in which you're sleeping, the places in which you're just going along with the culture, the places in which you're buying the lies of Satan. Pray that the Spirit would begin a work today that would go throughout the week and the month of waking you up to walk in a path of holiness. Let's go to communion now. What a great privilege you give us of just walking into your presence. The God of the universe. A world to run and, and we, your kids, just have to come walking in and talk to you. Tell you our needs, our problems, our pains. So many people attached to our family right now are, they're hurting. They're just hurting. Pray for Bill Piper, loss of his dad, for the whole Piper family as they adjust uh, to losing someone that they love. God, I pray for Ray and for Julia James. We love them so much. And the ravages of, of life, the, the diseases that take place are really pressing on them. 
pray for your comfort. I pray that even in this season of life, you will teach them ways that they can, that they can grow, that they can grow in, in trust and faith and relationship with you. Pray for Dan Smith as he continues to, to recover from heart surgery. Thank you that doctors have been able to figure out how to work around complications and pray for the long road of healing he has ahead. God, our hearts are broken for the friends of uh, Greg and Sue Jutras. I have a baby just a week ago, and the little baby is struggling for her life. Pray for Ava. God, you know, you know that we, as, as your kids, we walk into your presence on this one, and we just we pray for a miracle. The thought of losing a baby after only a week is so heartbreaking. do this time of prayer not as a creative way of doing announcements. We do this because we believe you care. You listen. You hear. You love us. Hear our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I walked through a few times this morning as the team was rehearsing, and I've gotten, obviously, to sit through the first service enough to say you're in for some incredible worship music this morning. And as we worship together, let's remember we get to enjoy it, but we're pointing it to him. So we're enjoying it this much. I can only imagine what he's thinking. Let's stand together. I will live my praises. 
I've been convinced, and I've said it for a long time, that God, God I think, gave me the privilege of, of being a parent to learn a lot more about my relationship with him and, and how he views me. And then he throws a grandkid in the mix. And I'll tell you what, at four and a half months, I've never, I've never loved someone the way I love this kid. He poops, I smile. <laughs> he throws up, I smile. He gouges my face with his fingernails, I smile. Everything he does is just, I look at him, I go, how can I love you more? And I wish that he had some way of looking at me and going, you really love me that much? But I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> I love you just because. And then I turn my head to the sky and go, so this, this is it with you and me, huh? Just because he does. Would you stop living life like a whipped dog and start realizing that he really loves you? Everything about you. He just does. Walk in that this week. We'll see you.